would you be finding the book of First Timothy, please? First Timothy. You know, before we got so busy here in the fall, we finished the book of Job. And uh, I want to uh, go back. As a matter of fact, I've been kind of working somewhat toward trying to put together four, five, or six messages somewhat in an overview type of a manner um, and preach more on the book of Job in days ahead. But the book of First Timothy, if you will, uh, find chapter number one and then chapter three. Of course, they'll probably be opposite pages to one another. It's the way it is in my Bible here. I want to read chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. I don't think we'll deal with that text tonight. I think we'll deal with it next week. Then I want to read chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, which um, I'm convinced are the key verses, or enlightens us at least to the purpose of the writing of these chapters of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter number 1, we have the introductory verses to the book. And he goes just a little farther, Paul does. 1 Timothy 1, verses 1 through 4, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God, our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Paul can't help himself, can he? I know he's writing under the guidance and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but Paul's message is life and death, isn't it? This life-giving message, he cannot, he cannot keep from mentioning it. He mentions here right in the outset, uh, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. We wonder why he does what he does. It's wrapped up in that word apostle. He can't help but do what he does. He can't help but say what he says. Uh, his life is, um, is claimed by Christ. He's been changed, radically changed. So changed was his life. He, before salvation, persecuted the church of God. And now since salvation and God putting him in the, counting him faithful and putting him in the ministry, now he's planting churches and encouraging those churches to plant churches. And he's a soldier of the cross preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This life-giving message it's wrapped up in our Lord and Savior, uh, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. He is our hope. Paul's message is of life and of death, right? Um, an old soldier of yesteryear has been with the Lord now for some time, many, many years. He said, O oh God, grant us more life that we may die and more death that we may live. He teaches us in other parts of the New Testament that we are to mortify our members. We're to die, crucify ourselves, die daily. But he goes on and, and he, he writes in verse number 2, Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. Look at chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. We may look at a verse 2 out of each chapter 
I want to give just some general remarks tonight, if I may, toward this epistle. And again, these are the key verses. If you have a study Bible, I'm convinced they'll use the same verses. But if not, you scratch out your study Bible notes and put mine in there. Amen. I've often said this. If you can find a set of keys hidden around our front porch, back door, indoor, or if you can find a window left unlocked, and you can raise that and let yourself into our home, you can look around at what Amanda's got hanging on the walls, the pictures or whatever. Um, you could tell a lot about us with a set of keys. If you can find a set of keys to any book of the Bible, it will help you to understand and unlock the meaning and the purpose for that book and its being in a part of the canon of Scripture. Chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Paul writes to Timothy, of course, in verses 14 and 15, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Let me say just a few words, if I may, first uh, this evening about uh, the pastoral epistles. The pastoral epistles are three. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, of course. They were written to two uh, preacher boys. We would call them, if they were living in the South in our day, we would call them two of Paul's preacher boys. We found out right here in the first verses that we read out of chapter number 1 that Paul had left uh, Timothy at Ephesus. He'd left him behind that he might look to and see after the church. He's going to give him a lot of instruction regarding the church at Ephesus. We learn about, a lot about the church at Ephesus in Scripture, don't we? There is the epistle written to the church itself. There was a, there was a, a brief letter that the Lord told John to write uh, to the angel of the church at Ephesus. There was Paul spending time with the church at Ephesus. And he even called for the Ephesian elders to meet him after he had left the church at Ephesus on one occasion. So there's a lot we learn about the church itself. Uh, Timothy was left at Ephesus to pastor, and Titus was sent to the island uh, of Crete. They both were sent to oversee. Titus has a bit of organization that he has to do uh, while they're at Crete. Both of them are to preach and teach the Scriptures and both of them will be commanded in the pastoral epistles to stand against error. And what they're to do while they are at their appointed places is to do what Paul would have done had he been there himself in person. They were to carry on the work that Paul would have carried on. And Paul has enough confidence in both of the men to believe that they'll do that very thing. To stand in the place of Paul, to stand where a preacher needs to stand in preaching and teaching and pointing men, women, boys, and girls to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, now I'm talking about generally now, the, the pastoral epistles, Paul will admonish both of them toward the work of Christ. Listen to 1 Timothy 4.12. Listen to what he says to Timothy. He said, let no man despise thy youth. Paul was Timothy's senior by about 30 years. We believe that Timothy, at the writing of 1 Timothy, was in his mid to late 30s. And Paul, some 30 years beyond him, his elder. He said, let no man despise thy youth, 
Listen, listen, to what he, listen to what he said to Titus in Titus chapter 2, verse 15. He said to Titus, he said, These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Then he said, Let no man despise thee. Let no man despise thee. And we preachers have all been there, starting out, and we probably all utter the words, whether they just look at me like a young preacher. Probably so. How do you combat that? Uh, you combat that by not conducting yourself in a foolish manner or presenting yourself in some immature, uh, fickle way. Uh, be consistent in preaching the Scriptures and living them uh, before people. You have to prove yourself. You have to prove yourself. The Bible Institute, the last several years, I have said to some of the younger men, I know what you want to do. You want to pastor Bellevue Baptist Church where R.G. Lee and Adrian Rogers stood. And you want to travel and you want to do and you want to whatever. But you have to wait your turn, right? We all have to wait our turn. We all had to wait our turn. We have to do our due diligence. Pay our dues, if you will. So just a few words about the pastoral epistles. Now, Paul, I believe to be the penman of 14 out of our 27 New Testament books. Some believe 13. Some believe even fewer than that. Of course, he was the penman of Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and Hebrews. Some try to assert that someone other than Paul is the penman to the book of Hebrews. Many people, many good men, believe Luke to be the penman. Some believe that Barnabas perhaps was the penman, and some even others when, when they get to heaven, I hope that Gabriel slips up beside them and says, you know, that preacher over charity had that right, and you were wrong about that. I do believe Paul to be the penman of the book of Hebrews. But some even try to assert that Paul is not the penman of the pastoral epistles. I don't know how they can come up with that. I have read a couple of their reasonings. They just won't hold up. Look, if you will, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Second Timothy chapter 1. Look at this. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, Titus chapter 1 verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. And uh, you just have to outright deny the scriptures. And another, another thing is the early church fathers all accepted uh, Paul's penmanship of the pastoral epistles. But as some assert that he actually did not write these epistles. And uh, there are some possible uh, reasons for this. Uh, of course, these three books are the last three writings of Paul in the New Testament. As far as his epistles, these, these are his last uh, three offerings, his last three epistles, his last three letters that were inspired of the, of the Spirit of God. As a matter of fact, they were written, we believe, in this order. We believe they were pinned down 1 Timothy, Titus, and 2 Timothy. And we believe that they were pinned down probably, the last one being 2 Timothy, um, just maybe months or weeks uh, before Nero had him beheaded and he was martyred for Christ. As a matter of fact, Paul was, uh, was in a dungeon. He was in what we would call a hole. 
uh, you've seen where, uh, where prisoners of war have been kept in different parts of the world where maybe there was a dugout hole and they were let down and maybe water was let down to them um, or something along that line. There was no light other than when the sun would light up a portion of that dugout hole in the ground. Where Paul was his last days, uh, we understand that the city sewer ran through there. It was, a, it was a hole. He knew that Nero was soon to kill him. He knew that. Where he was smelled like death. He heard the sound of death as men would die of starvation and painful uh, surroundings. There were mice and rodents everywhere. It was filthy. And yet, when he gives this last offering in Second Timothy, he comes out beating the drum. He's not. It goes back to that message of life we mentioned earlier. He talked about that in the opening of Second Timothy. He knows he's soon to die, and yet it's life that's beating in his chest. The life that Christ gives to all who will come unto him. But some believe because, um, some believe that, and, and by the way, there was 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. We have pretty good evidence a year and a half passed between the writing of the two. And somewhere between the two writings of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, Titus was pinned down. But um, these letters were written to uh, these, these preachers, these younger men, these, these preacher men. Paul had no natural children, but he writes with affection. One of the criticisms of Paul's authorship is that, that, that he uses different language. If it is Paul, that he's writing a bit differently. It's kind of like the, those who would say Isaiah didn't pin down all of Isaiah because his language changes across the prophecy. But the reason for that is he prophesied for 65 years. He prophesied through many kingdoms or many kings in their reign. And he advanced his writing over and again. And Paul writes with affection for these two preacher boys. He writes with, with a great care for them. And... And, and a great concern for them and for the works that they will influence and be a part of. Watch, watch out. No natural children. He doesn't have any children. He, he never knew what having children uh, such as you and I know about and grandchildren. He didn't know what that was like. Watch this. Again, and, and I'm talking about the pastoral epistles in general. Look at chapter 1 of 1 Timothy. Watch what he says here. Verse 1 and verse 2. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope unto Timothy. Watch this. You talk about beautiful language. My own son in the faith. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. I love this language. 2 Timothy 1, verse 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, According to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy. Watch how he pins this one. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And then, of course, 
in the book of Titus, beginning in chapter 1, verse 1, down through the first part of verse number 4, he writes, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior, he says to Titus, my own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Paul was close to both preachers, Timothy and Titus. I'm convinced he was even more close of the two to Timothy. Paul went from church to church to church to church, planning churches, going back and visiting those churches. And you get in some of the epistles, and you don't know whether he's talking about men or women. Do you go to the book of Romans, that last chapter? Those names, we don't know if they're in the masculine or feminine, feminine gender. Some of those. He said, they salute you. They say hi. He had touched so many lives, and God used him and, uh, to do so. But now Paul pulls both of these men into his world. Titus was unknown for the most part in the area outside a small circle of his family and his church family. So it was with Timothy. And Paul saw their calling, recognized their calling and gifting, and he pulled them into his world. And he mentored them. He spent time with them. And he exchanged with them. I, as a matter of fact, I wonder. I, I wonder if sometimes, you know, we, we read where the Bible says in Paul, beckoning with the hand. I wonder if somebody in the church at Ephesus saw Timothy or heard Timothy one Lord's Day and he beckoned with the hand and somebody probably leaned over and said, who's that remind you of? That young man's heard Paul preach, hadn't he? There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. And no matter who did not support Timothy and Titus, Paul did support and stood with the two men. That men are to invest in other men, of course, this is, um, this is underlined in Scripture. Look back with me, if you will. Hold your place here. Go back to Mark's gospel account, if you will. Look at chapter number 3. Just want to make three or four statements. Mark chapter number 3. Brother Jay is teaching in his Sunday school class on the 12th. And, uh, and I'm sure he'll get to the Apostle Paul as well. I think you're in Andrew, still looking at Andrew. It's a rich study. Of course, the 12 are listed in the Gospels. Now, look, if you will, at Mark 3, uh, beginning in verse uh, number 13. The Bible says... And he goeth up into a mountain, and calleth unto him whom he would. And they came unto him, and he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, and have power to heal sicknesses, and to cast out devils. And Simon, he surnamed Peter, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, he surnamed them Boanjanes, which is the sons of thunder. And Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him, and they went into an house. Our Lord poured himself. Now, he preached to multitudes. He healed multitudes. 
but he poured himself into a handful of men and gave himself to them. And those handful of men, we learn from the book of Acts, would turn the world upside down. It doesn't take many, does it? They would turn the world upside down. We learn of that in the book of Acts. In spite of these men, in spite of their faults, their failures, at times, God took them. The Lord Jesus took them and taught them and developed them. The Lord Jesus loved them, and he never gave up on them. Now, we know that one of them was a devil, right? That being Judas. And, of course, that teaches us that we're not to stop. When adversity comes, the Lord, for some time, did all he did, knowing the whole time who Judas Iscariot was. And yet he never called him out. Not until there at uh, observing the, uh, the, uh, the Passover and instituting the Lord's Supper all uh, in the same moments there in the upper room. But our Lord, he loves men who in and of themselves are unlovable. And he calls men and he uses men. Sometimes their own families reject them. But that's who he's looking for. As a matter of fact, it doesn't say, the Bible doesn't say that he does not call any wise, but he said not many, not many. Uh, God is pleased to use men in their inabilities and develop them to where he is the only one that uh, will receive any glory for it. There in Mark 3, you notice verse number 14, Jesus called the 12 that they may fellowship with Christ. Mark 3, 14, he ordained 12. I love this, that they should be with him to fellowship with the master. Marvel of marvels that Christ would desire and delight in any fellowship with any of us. But the Lord of glory cares to fellowship. So we go to him in prayer. As, as we seek his will for our lives, he called them that they would follow him. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18, 19. We preached on this a couple of months back um, in, in our series on the life of Christ. Matthew 4, 18 to 19. Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They would fellowship with him, and they would follow him. And then he called them that they would continue the work when he would be crucified, buried, and resurrected, and ascends back to heaven. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 28, he said, Listen, fellas, don't stay here. Go ye into all the world. Carry this work on. Take it farther. And we've been charged to do the same. Who were these men? They were just that. They were men. Just like you and me. They, they were men that the Lord chose to call and set aside and, and use. They come from different places and dis, different stations in life. As a matter of fact, a couple of them would have been like trying to mix oil and water. From where they come from. And yet the Lord is able to take the sting out of it all. And put their hearts together in unison for his sake for his name's sake you remember james james would write this about elijah the prophet of fire um, from the old testament james five seventeen. elias was a man subject to like passions 
as we are, subject to like passions. In other words, that simply means similarly affected. Elijah was a man that knew what it was to grow weary and tired. As a matter of fact, he gave up on life on one occasion, didn't he? Certainly he did. But yet God was pleased to use it. And God was pleased to use those that Christ set aside. It's same, same with the Apostle Paul. Now, there are others that we could list than, than what I'm going to mention to you. But he followed the pattern laid down by our Lord. He invested in the life of Timothy and of Titus, of Silas, and Luke, the beloved physician, of Gaius and Aristocrus, Secundus, Sopater from Berea. And then again, church after church. Matter of fact, look, if you will, at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Look at what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2. Timothy had been with Paul for some 15 years. He'd been with him through it all. When he left Lystra and Derby, he would go to the various places that he would go, to Corinth and again Berea and Thessalonica and Philippi. He saw all his victories. Uh, Lydia and the ladies that would be saved on the riverbank, the Philippian jailer, the slave girl that was demon-possessed. He saw all their conversions. He watched how God used the apostle Paul as he just hung around in the shadows, as the old apostle as he would just labor and continue to preach. He knew what he was getting into when he got into it in Acts chapter 16 forward. He was with Paul through all of that. And uh, he knew what happened to Paul when he was there at Lystra. He knew he'd been stoned and left for dead. As a matter of fact, some of us, I'm one of them, believe he did die. I believe that's when he was caught up to the third heaven. It fits the timeline. When he writes about being caught up into the third heaven in 2 Corinthians. This bunch that's running around writing books and saying they got caught up into heaven and come back and writing books and signing autographs and all that, you just put that under a, a Greek word, hogwash. Paul said, I saw things nobody, he said, I can't tell you what I saw. And I heard things uttered, and God won't let me tell you about it. Some of this bunch going to heaven and coming back and telling us about it, they ain't, they ain't supposed to see a light at the end of the tunnel. Isn't that right? Paul, he invested in these men's lives. Look at what he writes to Timothy about he knows Nero's axe is soon to take his head. He said, Timothy, everything you've, you've, you've heard of me, everything you've, you've witnessed of me for the last 15 years, watch this, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he said, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me, he said, Now, Timothy, it's your turn now, it's your time. He said, the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, he said the same. Commit thou to faithful men who shall be, who shall be able to teach others also. Um, well, we learn a lot of practical things from Paul's relationship with Timothy and with Titus and with others. We learn of the value of relationships, do we not? The value of relationships. Paul reached out to a young Timothy. He embraced him. Maybe somebody else would not have done that. He did that. He embraced him. The church is essential. 
I need you and you need me and we need each other. The work of the church is not a one-man show. God has put us in a local body together for reasons. Someone said a good long while back that one of the purposes, just one, but one of the purposes, and God putting us in an assembly is so that we wouldn't have to cross valleys by ourselves. It's the truth, isn't it? Isn't it a blessing whenever you're low or struggling? If you've been hurt, the devil's come at you. The world you, the world you live in is caving in on you. And then for some brother or some sister to slip up beside you on a Sunday and say, I'm praying for you. Had you on my heart. We have a lot of needs in our congregation right now. It's a blessing, is it not? To know that there are those who are praying for you. Those that you can help to encourage in the work of the gospel. Somebody that will, you can come up beside and they can come up beside you. Of course, we learn in this relationship the importance of influence. Again, Paul took Timothy, took Titus, he took others. Pulls him into his world and and gave him a platform. I thought about this today. I I wouldn't be here where I'm at tonight were it not for folk who took time with me years ago. Andrew Bonner said it well when he said when God's people get to heaven, there won't be one life. Existing there that will not have the thumbprint of others all over their lives, all over those lives. It's the truth, isn't it? The influence of others. God did that. God did that with Paul and Timothy. God's done that with all of us. We also learn from this the glory of the gospel and what it does. Um, the only reason Paul and Timothy ever met to begin with was because of the gospel. The only reason why they spent 15 years together, day and night, in the labor of the gospel uh, is because of the Lord Jesus Christ and his saving work. You remember what Paul wrote to the church at Philippi in chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. He said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. Listen to this, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. There are many who have written about um, Timothy as a person and have called him Timid Timothy. You've heard that somewhere probably, haven't you? Um, We believe because Paul had to write and encourage him and call on him at times in his writings that he was bashful, perhaps easily discouraged. But Paul would encourage him, stand, stand, Timothy. Go back and preach again, Timothy. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering. Have to be patient, Timothy. Let the Spirit do his bidding. You do your part. You can't do what the Holy Spirit does. Timothy, go back again. I know you're discouraged. And Timothy, when you go, stand. You don't have to be ashamed of the word. It's not your word. It's my word. It's... It's your word, but it's, it's the Lord's word. Ultimately, it's his word. Let the Spirit take it. You be faithful to declare it, expound it. Let the Spirit of God do the work. You know, if you know anything about Timothy's life, he died a martyr in the streets 
of Ephesus, there were parades. It would be likened to some of these gay parades today. They were vulgar. It was a celebration of the Greek goddess Diana in the streets of, of Ephesus, and Timothy stood and preached against it. He was beaten and died just a few days later. He did stand. He did pick up the baton. He did pick up the mantle. And he did stand for what was right and gave his life. Um, God has used men and women in all of our lives to get us to the place where we are. And may we be willing to give of ourselves to this generation coming on. And one of these days, one of these days, maybe standing around after a service, or maybe in Sunday school teaching a class, we'll look at some younger men and women and say, all right, it's your turn now. We'll soon be exiting the scene. We're close to home. And young men and young ladies, you take up the work now. It's in your care. And you see to it your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. You see to it they've got a place to come and gather and assemble and enjoy the fellowship and the gospel. Look with me again. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Look, if you will. I'll give you just a brief thought or two from the book, and then we'll look at verses 1 through 4 next Tuesday night, Lord willing. These things write out unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. He says, I want to come visit you, Timothy. He's just left him at Ephesus. He said, I want to come back to Ephesus and see you and give you further instructions, but in case I don't get to come back, Verse 15, but if I tarry long, if I'm gone for an extended period of time, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. He said, Timothy, I'm writing to give you instruction to do what I would do if I were there, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Look, if you will, chapter number 1, we mentioned that word hope in verse number 1. Look at verse number 11. Comes out on him, doesn't it, the church, in a proclamation. He said, Timothy, I'm writing so that you know what you need to be doing, what you need to be about. Now, there are other things in chapter 1 that we'll see. But in verse 11 and verse number 15, the gospel comes out on him. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Verse number 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He rings the bell over and again regarding the gospel. It's always to be the proclamation of the church. Christ's death, burial, and resurrection for sinners, for sin, for sinners. Look at chapter number 2. He deals with the church and our priorities. He writes in chapter number 2. There are two divisions. Chapter number 2, I'm only going to mention the first. has to do with the church and her praying. The church is always to be engaged in a ministry of intercession, and we always are, aren't we? We always mention folk who are struggling physically. We always pray for our missionaries, other needs at times. He writes in chapter 2, verse number 1, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, you see priority, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. He'll go on to exhort him to pray for kings and all that are in authority. But we don't like this. I don't. 
I'm not happy that Joe Biden is our sitting president of the United States of America, and I'd be ashamed if, if I were. But you know it's my duty to pray for that man. According to the Word of God, according to this chapter, as a matter of fact, Paul gives to Timothy four aspects, four different areas of prayer. Praying to God is not about how loud you can get, nor how long you can pray nor how sophisticated your wording may be. Praying is talking with God. It's more than just asking and receiving. Sometimes in prayer, you're not saying anything. Praying takes time. If you're going to spend time with God in prayer, you're going to have to take the time to spend with Him. Well, Brother Joe Parsons was saying in his part of the world, preaching in revival after revival, and some of the Young men come to him and wanted to ask him that when he gets up at 2 in the morning or 3 in the morning and he talked about going to prayer and spending a lot of time in prayer, they ask him, Brother Joe, what are you, what are you saying all that time? And he said, well, fellas, a lot of times I'm not saying anything. I'm just being still, listening for God to speak to me. Paul lays emphasis on the church and her praying. One of the great joys at times is knowing when there be struggle in our lives that our church family prays for us, right? I mentioned Miss Peggy and the test she has in the morning, the biopsy in the morning, then the PET scan coming up on Monday. Brother Ronnie and I were talking about out front. Um, you mamas and daddies and grandmamas and granddaddies know what I'm fixing to say. But she prays over these young folk around here. You ought to thank God for her. You ought to thank God for that. She and Brother David pray for me multiple times, most days. And I'm grateful for that. The greatest thing you can do for your brothers and sisters in Christ is to pray for them. Just a few moments in prayer, calling your name before the throne that people would pray for you. There's no telling what all God has and will accomplish through the prayers of his people calling out unto him. I want to be quite honest with you. I've said this the last several years. The farther I go, the less I seem to understand about the economy of prayer. God knows we have need, and yet he's, he's pleased that we call on him. Matthew Henry said, before God ever does anything great with his people, he always sets them to praying. It's amazing, isn't it, how God does that? He deals with the church and her people in chapter number 3. He deals with qualifications for the bishop. That's the pastor, the elder, the overseer, the under-shepherd. He deals with qualifications of the deacons in chapter number 3. Chapter number 4 deals with the church and her pastor. As a matter of fact, verse number 16, if you don't take anything else from that chapter, just at a glance, verse 16 would be a key verse to the chapter. Verse 16 of chapter 4, he writes, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue, in other words, progress in them. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. I've heard preachers all my life, all my adult life. I've heard 
Guys say things like this. Well, you know what? He's still preaching what he's always preached. Well, I hope he is, and I hope he's not. I hope he's still declaring the gospel, but I hope he's studied a little bit through the years, and I hope he's changed his mind about a few things along the way. We all ought to continue in studying our Bibles and letting God get some of this self out of the way and fables and foolish notions and develop us in the faith. Chapter number 5, he deals with, in chapters 5 and 6, he deals with, with some of the practices of the church. As a matter of fact, he'll deal with widows that are widows indeed in a large portion of chapter number 5. And he even tells us about helping the widows. He stops in verse number 8 of chapter 5 and says, But if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. It's a statement, isn't it? For a man that won't get up and go to work. Provide the basic necessities for his own family. He says he knows the Lord. God didn't put that in him. He goes on and says some other things in chapter 6. Let me run through 2 Timothy, uh, and then we'll stop. 2 Timothy chapter number 1, just before the headsman's acts, we don't know how long before, how short of a time he had after writing this epistle. As a matter of fact, he told Timothy in this epistle, he said, do thy diligence to come before winter. He said, bring my cloak. He said, it's going to be cold. If I live through the winter, it'll be a cold, it'll be a hard winter. And he said, bring the parchments, that is, bring the Bible, bring my Bible. And he said, bring the books. That's what meant something to him. We don't know if Timothy got there before he died. We don't know if he made it there. We don't know if when Timothy got to where Paul was in prison, if, if he was still alive or if they'd already offed his head and took his life. Timothy meant so much to him, he wanted Timothy to go by and get his Bible for him and his coat and his books. Chapter 1, he said, Timothy, I'm, I'm running out of time here on earth. He said, now, son, you've got to make a choice. Watch verse number 8 of chapter 1, 2 Timothy. He said, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. He said, you've got to make your mind up, Timothy. Be strong. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Then he says, nor of me his prisoner. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. He gave to Timothy a six or seven-fold challenge in chapter number 2 of 2 Timothy. You can sum it all up with verse number 15. He said, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, cutting straight the word of truth so that people can understand it. He talks to Timothy in chapter number 3, writes to him about the course of life he's going to meet with. Not only will there be saved people, but there will be lost people in his journey. And again, he takes him back to the Word, verses 16 and 17. No matter who he meets with, he says about the Word of God in chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, all Scripture is given by 
inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might, uh, may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. All scriptures given by inspiration of God. All of it. Genesis through Revelation. Then he leaves in this all-important charge in chapter 4, doesn't he? Verses 1 and 2. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Of course, Titus, uh, the book of Titus, if you were going to go organize a church, you would want to consult the book of Titus, wouldn't you? And that is largely what is dealt with in the book of Titus. I look forward to getting into the text, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, next Tuesday evening. Thank you for Thank you for being here. Let's stand with we'll this in prayer. Brother Derek, your family, so good to see you and have you in the service uh, this evening. And good to see all of you. Pray. Let's leave praying. Let's come again Sunday praying. Remember our old-fashioned day and our Thanksgiving meal Sunday. Pray for Brother Zach and his family that will be coming in Saturday. Pray for them, please. And look forward to worshiping with them this coming Sunday. Brother Donald, would you dismiss us in prayer?